Hey everyone, Shagira here and welcome to another episode of Unapologetic Season 3. Today I'm here with Amber, a truly inspiring and ambitious woman with a goal. Amber is an emotional eating, digestive, and hormone expert who helps women achieve their optimal health through mindful eating, self-care, and overcoming self-sabotage with food. After overcoming her own battle with emotional eating, she's now helping others achieve their body freedom, and it's so great to have you here. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing so good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to have this conversation with you. Honestly, same here. So um, just for our audience to know you a little bit better, if you can just give us like a brief introduction of yourself and your career. Yeah, so um, my name is Amber Romaniak and I am an emotional eating, digestive and hormone expert. I've had my business now for eight and a half years and I coach women all over the world um, who are struggling with emotional eating, food addiction, body image struggles, unworthiness, and then all the physical imbalances that come along with it. So like gut issues, hormone imbalances, struggles Mm -hmm. with weight. And then all that impacts, of course, our, our mood and our emotions and the way we feel about ourselves. And, um, it's just been such a gift to assist so many women and just let women know to me, the biggest message is like, if I could do it, you can do it. Anyone can gain this food and body freedom that I help support women through, whether it's in coaching or my podcast or however someone is following me, like it's available for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of my um, questions that I really wanted to ask you was how you got to this point in your life. Like, what was your experience like? What were your struggles? What kind of obstacles did you face? Yeah. And for me, if my struggles created my business. So I, from a very young age, really started struggling with body image. So there was like a few key points in my life that really I I would say crafted my insecurities within myself. So the first one was I was my first day on the school bus. I was five. I got on the bus. I was just like so excited to make new friends. And I literally get up, you know, on the bus and then the older boys start calling me fat and ugly and then the significant impact on me for the next 20 years of my life. Like, I think we've all had experiences at a young age that really, we don't realize how much they impacted us until we look back and go, wow, like I shut down after that. I was very insecure, especially I didn't want to have boys as friends because I thought they're all going to make fun of me. I became very critical of my body after that, even though I was only five years old. And so by 10, I'm like dieting. Right. And then you start reading magazines, you start watching TV, music videos, Hollywood, like all the celebrities. And you're like, oh, well, if I want love and I want money and and to be noticed and be somebody, I have to, my body has to look perfect. I have to fit into this box. And so we're sold mm-hmm. this false falsehood of what we need to look like to be somebody yeah. when that's not true. So then I latched onto that, right? And so then diets and like, oh man, like if I want to, if I want to be given attention by men, like I've got to look like this and act a certain way. And, and I took all that on because I didn't have that, worthiness within myself I didn't know who I was and so I was just attaching Mm -hmm. onto all these external identities that I was being sold and then in my early 20s I went through my first I'd say like serious breakup and it really well I was just so upset about it I couldn't eat so I was starting to lose weight really fast and then I thought well if I get the perfect body that'll just fix everything so I restricted heavily exercised two hours a day lost the weight really fast 
got what I thought was the quote unquote perfect body, but nothing got better. People think weight loss will solve all your problems and make everything perfect. It does not, but we have this voice in our head that convinces us and society that convinces us that it's the be all end all. So after losing the Mm -hmm. weight, nothing getting better, I became more critical of my body. My period disappeared because now I was too thin Um, I got into very unhealthy, like habits with exercise, right? Like punishing myself if I ate too much and I was restricting so much that one day it just like, I woke up and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like this is unattainable. This is unrealistic. Like it's not working. I'm not happy. And then this, it's like this pendulum just shifted the other way. And now I was like binge eating every day, gained 60 pounds in four months. Now was the heaviest that I'd ever been felt so insecure, wanted to hide at home, didn't want anyone to see me because I didn't want anyone to notice like how much weight I had gained. And now I just felt even worse. And that really fueled the binge eating cycle. Um, And it wasn't just like eating a cookie. And then, you know, it was like eating a whole box of cookies and eating a whole pizza and eating a bag of chips. Like I would binge Mm -hmm. until I was so sick um, and so uncomfortable. And I did go through a period of about six months where I binged and purged. And what I realized from that was I was doing it to try to, you know, I'd binge and then be like, okay, I'll just get rid of it. And then I won't gain weight. But what I realized I was doing is I wasn't owning the self-sabotage I had already done through the binge. And then the purge was further not owning the -hmm. self-sabotage that I was putting myself through. And I have women, I have clients who struggle with binging and purging when they first come to work with me and they completely stop when they learn how to take that responsibility. So that's the, you know, unexpected circumstance I found myself in at 21 years old and yeah, 21. And I, I could not for the life of me figure out why all of this was happening to me. I didn't know how to stop. I was scared for my life, to be honest. I was thinking if I keep doing this, I don't think I'm going to make 30 because I was being so destructive to my body, right? Like overeating, eating all these processed foods and then restricting and punishing with exercise, all the negative self-talk that I was putting myself through, not allowing myself to go out and live my life because my weight was above a certain number on the scale. Like I was Mm -hmm. very, I was very mean to myself and, you know, it was something that, I don't wish for anyone to go through, but I had to go through it because I had to hit a low point, which was one night in my apartment, I had finished a binge and I'd thrown the food in the garbage can. And I was just crying on the couch going like, what is happening here? I, I didn't think my life would end up like this. I wanted to have a career and a, a, you know, a family and get married. And like, here I am alone, like isolating myself, like so lost and unhappy. Like it just, I couldn't, like I said, for the life of me, figure out why this, this is the hand that I was dealt. And Mm. I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I've got to change something. And then I always would throw the food in the garbage can because if I threw the food in the garbage can, I wouldn't go and eat the rest of it. But that night I did. And that's the low point that needed to happen for me was going into the garbage can, digging through, finding the cookies and eating them. Because in that moment, I thought, I can't keep living like this. I can't survive. My health is significantly compromised mentally, physically, and emotionally. I'm broke. I hate my job. I'm alone. And I am not willing for this to keep going and for this to be the rest of my 20s and the rest of my life, however long that's going to be if I keep this up. 
But I needed that moment to happen because this is something I always share with people is that we tolerate suffering to too large of a degree and we let fear block us, the fear of the unknown, keep us in the suffering. Because what was happening for me is I wanted to change, but the fear of the unknown of like, well, what's the journey going to look like? What if I fail? What if it doesn't work? What if I can't figure it out? Um, what if I like, who would I be if food wasn't my best friend? Like, what am I going to do if I'm not using food as a coping mechanism? The fear of that unknown kept blocking me. And so I stayed in the suffering. I stayed in the self-sabotage, but that garbage can moment mm-hmm. made me go, no, like the suffering has now become more significant than the fear of the unknown and the fear of doing something about this. Like, I don't care what it takes. I'm figuring it out. That was yeah. a, a very important moment for me. And I, I don't want people to have to go through the garbage can moment or the low point moment, but sometimes we have to, to like, just push the fear to aside because the it just keeps us stuck in the same state yeah. of suffering and it doesn't serve us. Mm-hmm. I know. So yeah, that was a huge moment for me. And that's what pushed me on the road to figure out how to heal my relationship with food and, and learn how to love myself. And it, it was a journey. And I don't know if you want me to go into that or if you want to go into another path, but that's. You can go into moment. whatever you like. Yeah. This is this is your moment. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important for people to know, like, you don't just wake up one day and stop binge eating and love yourself. Like it is a process and it is a journey and it is, it is complex, but it's beautiful because emotional eating is a teacher. The weight gain is a teacher. Low energy is a teacher. Unworthiness is a teacher. And all they're wanting to do is to bring you to this, you know, deep connection with yourself. And the first thing that I started to learn about when I embarked on my healing journey was food and were the different ingredients that they put into food to make you addicted to them. Like when I started to learn that sugar, refined sugar is 10 times more addictive than cocaine, it blew my mind. And I was like, wait, no, what? One. yes, yes. Refined sugars. Yep. Artificial sweeteners, aspartames, things like that, 10 times more addictive than cocaine. And you can go online and you can watch videos and you can do research and the studies are there. And It was so reaffirming when I found that out because I'm like, okay, I'm not crazy because I couldn't figure out why I would eat sugar and then completely lose control because it felt like I was getting Mm -hmm. this high. And so what happens is when we eat refined sugar or we eat really processed foods, fast foods, refined salts, MSG, which is the appetite, um, it, it increases the appetite and it's a flavor enhancer. When we eat these processed ingredients, They literally make your brain produce serotonin and dopamine, which are the feel-good neurotransmitters that give you a high. And so we're eating all these foods that have these processed ingredients, and then we wonder why we can't stop eating them or why we lose control. And a lot of it is the ingredients in the food that we're consuming. Um, And it's not just sugar. It is, you know, dairy has casein, and casein is the protein in dairy that excites the same part of the brain as heroin. Gluten is the protein and wheat products that does the same thing. And you literally go through drug-like withdrawals when you try to wean off of these foods. So when I tried to cut these out to help overcome food addiction, my mood was in the gutter. I was having like chills and like feeling sweaty and like detox symptoms because you're literally detoxing all these things out of your system. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't believe it until it was happening to me and I was reading about it and going, Oh my goodness, I'm going through withdrawals in my brain and in my body. Um, And it made it very 
clear that food addiction is a real thing um, and that we can become addicted to different foods. And it, it just made me have more compassion for myself, knowing that it wasn't because I didn't have willpower. It wasn't because I wasn't trying hard enough. It's because the food was set up to put me into the cycle. And so as I learned how to nourish my body more mindfully, I brought in a lot of, you know, gluten-free and dairy-free alternatives and natural sweeteners. And I, I really got to know all these different alternatives in the kitchen and getting more creative with my cooking, which was incredible because I didn't feel deprived. And as I mastered the, the food piece, I started to have better digestion. I started to mm -hmm. learn about you know, my gut flora and all these parts of my, my digestion that were not well and, and, and making them better healing them. Um, but it's when I wanted to keep binge eating that I was like, okay, there's a, there's a deeper layer here because now I was binging on like 10 bananas and processed foods anymore. And that's when I realized that emotional eating, yes, there's an addictive component from certain foods, but it's this void. We, we have this void inside of us, this lack of self-love, this unworthiness, whatever you want to call it. And we try to fill it with food or we try to fill it with external accomplishments or perfection or people pleasing or wearing certain clothes or being a certain weight. But yeah. none of that external stuff will ever fill that internal void. So for me, what I came to realize is I'm using food as a coping mechanism because I actually don't know how to cope with stress in a healthy way. I don't know how to feel my emotions. It's scary. Mm -hmm. And I don't love myself. So that was a huge groundbreaking like epiphany for me to have because it really taught me that food was just what I was using. And thank God it wasn't drugs or alcohol because I probably wouldn't be here today if it was, if my addiction was that severe, right? So, um, so what I learned from that was I want to learn how to detach from the scale. My weight is, weight is not, you know, my worth is not the number on the scale. I need to ditch diets and I need to learn to understand like what's triggering me to emotionally eat. So I literally created this list, this list of triggers. And I put it in every room in my apartment because I wanted to like remind myself, like before I go and eat, I want to see if it's emotional or if it's mm -hmm. actual physical hunger. And that really helped. And I built a self-care routine so that I could start connecting with myself and feeling my emotions and having healthy ways to cope with stress. So meditation, deep breathing, EFT tapping, stretching, yoga, baths, journaling, like reading more. Like I just, the more I got on this journey, the more hungry I was to just learn more and heal on a deeper yeah. level. And as I did all of that, it really helped me fill that void. And it really helped me to learn to love myself. And I, I, it was easier to catch the negative self-talk and go to positive and love my body as she was. And that was a beautiful um, experience going through that emotional part of the journey. And then I stopped binge eating. It just stopped because I learned how to own and take responsibility for my emotions and learning that food is not going to help me deal with, with what whatever's going on. It's about me giving to myself what I really need, which is not food. Um, and so I was able to stop that fully. And it is possible to, to stop it because I did it and I see people do it every day. And my refined food cravings went away. And the last phase of that really, and I'm, I'm still to this day on a healing journey. It's just not, I'm not in self-sabotage anymore. But when I dealt with the physical, mental, and emotional, the next thing that opened up for me was connecting to my intuition and realizing that I had an intuition and mm -hmm. that it was very strong. And that was kind of scary because I'm like, oh my gosh, I can feel all this stuff. And, and this part of me wanted to suppress it again, but I didn't. So we open up to such deep levels of ourselves, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, and it doesn't matter what people believe in, but it's, 
we all have that gut feeling and that gut yeah. feeling gets stronger the more you heal yeah. and you can't ignore it. And then when you do and you, and it, you know, you go against it and you're like, oh, my gut said this, but I did the opposite. And then it ends up not turning out the way that you wanted it to. Yeah. That gut feeling is always right. So all of that is, you know, what unfolded for me on my journey. And I thought if I struggle with this to the depth that I did, how many other women, I know men struggle too, but how many women are struggling, whether not as severe as me, just as bad as I did. And that's what really inspired me to want to, you know, start my business and start coaching women who were dealing with this because I didn't know anybody who I could have went and seen. Like I, I just, I saw a psychologist once and essentially after the hour session, she just said to me, just stop driving to the store and buying the food and love and learn to love yourself. So the lack of compassion and empathy, um, I was just like, there needs to be more women supporting women with compassion and empathy who can hold a safe space. And so I started my business and started one-on-one coaching clients right away. And here we are, here we are and a half years later. Wow. I don't know if you guys know this, but literally throughout her entire story, my eyes were like wide open. My mouth was open, truly in all of you. And the first thing that I want to say is, I'm super proud of you, like woman from woman, like I'm super proud of you for overcoming um, all the struggles and the obstacles that you faced and finally learning to love yourself and not being in um, a self-sabotage kind of situation with, with yourself. It's truly very inspiring. And I know when a lot of girls hear this, they'll definitely be able to understand um, their worth and they'll also begin their like healing um, journey and very, very inspiring story. I, I honestly have no words for, uh, for you, but you were saying something about, um, your, the fear of the unknown. And that's what held you back in the beginning. Um, that kind of uh, reminded me of this paper that I did. And this was when I was in like high school. Um, it was about one of your biggest fears. And for me too, that was, was my fear of the unknown. And I wrote the paper on how um, I should learn to embrace the uncertainty. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, tomorrow it's going to hold whatever for you, but you have to learn to embrace it and you have to be able to um, adjust according to your situations because nothing's promised, nothing's set in stone other than the love for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's such a strong message to deliver. And I'm so happy that you brought up the fear of um, uh, the unknown too, because I feel like that's a point that we should definitely deliver across to people. And um, moving forward, I know you, um, it was through your personal experiences that you built um, your business. So I kind of wanted to go over how that process began and um, how you even attracted clients. Um, What steps did you take to start your own business? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it was definitely, I, so I have, I, I find I pride myself of my personal experience. I went to school and got my natural nutrition as well so that I could bring them both together. And while I was still in school, I started my website. I already gained clarity that the niche I wanted to focus on was the emotional eating, self-love, gut health, hormone health. And so by the time I had finished, I already had my business name, which at the time was Nourish This Life. And it's obviously since changed, but that's where it started. I luckily was able to um, get an office space in a health clinic, um, and just like have my own space. And, um, right off the bat, like, obviously it was slow. Like I didn't expect right away that I would just have a ton of clients, but, you know, getting those first few clients coming through was really exciting and being able to help them gain traction with emotional eating. The first year of my business was definitely a big struggle. And I think part of that was just like not knowing, 
exactly what to do. It was new. Nobody knew who I was. So I wanted to like get my name out there and, and have people know who I am. And I always had the drive of like, I'm going to be the most well-known person in the city of like, that does this kind of thing, let alone, you know, expanding internationally. Um, but I started to do a lot of collaborating and just again, you know, working with different people in the community. Um, I published my first self-published cookbook like in eight weeks when I first started my business, which I wouldn't recommend setting a deadline of eight weeks because I definitely gave myself adrenal fatigue doing that. And that's like a good learning through business owning is like setting boundaries and not like overextending yourself and throwing your hormones out of whack. Um, but that was really a fun venture. Um, but the first year the money wasn't coming in at all. And so I was really struggling with it. And I kind of had given myself here. I'm like, I've got to be able to come self-sufficient in a year with my business. And that's the goal that I had set for myself. And I really am always trying to go against the odds of what in my mind, I'm like, no, not believing that it's, I'm going to do it in a year. And so, um, through the summer going into the fall of the first year of my business, I actually hired a business coach and I didn't have the money, but I was like, well, I'm going to give this a shot and see if this helps expand my business. And mm -hmm. I made the investment back in a week. So it was definitely like worth the investment and it amplified me into six figures in my going into my second year of business, which was really exciting. Um, and I so for me, it. yeah. So for me, like what I really came to realize is number one, don't spread yourself too thin. Don't try to like put your hands in all the different pots, like, you know, finding out my social media strengths and like my couple of platforms. And then I started a podcast, which was a really great experience. Um, I started with another woman, um, but another learning opportunity from doing collaborations like that is always have a contract. Um, because at the end of the first year of working together, we decided to part ways. Um, and, and I was supposed to get everything and she was going to start fresh, but she actually took everything and locked me out of it. And I had to start fresh. So it's kind of like, and I trust that gut feeling. Cause I was getting this gut feeling of like, don't do this with her. Something's going to happen. And right. I didn't listen. And then I got, but it all worked out and I attract a lot of really incredible clients from my podcast. And, and that's a, a really great referral source because people get to hear me and get to know me and they feel safe reaching out and, and wanting to do the work together. Um, so, so yeah, don't spread yourself too thin. Always have a contract if you're doing a, like a serious collaboration with somebody else. Yeah. Um, and don't let anyone tell you how long it's going to take to create success in your business. Because if you believe it's going to only take a year, well, you're going to attract that and manifest that. If, if you believe it's going to take five or 10 years, you're going to attract and manifest that. So be mindful exactly. of what you're putting out to the universe, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Manifestation, definitely something I'm into recently. <laughs> oh, yes. It, it's legit. Um, okay, so um, kind of bouncing off of that topic too, I wanted to ask you, um, in your opinion, what success would look like to you and how would you define success? Like, what would you think are um, important factors in achieving a successful life for yeah, you? That's a great question. And it's changed a lot. Like when I first started my business, I thought success was having the office in the fancy building and like, and I'm like, no, this isn't success. I'd rather save that, you know, a couple thousand dollars a month in paying rent and like save it to buy a bigger house with my partner or like whatever that looks like. Um, yeah. So to me, success is 
getting the message out and just letting other women know that they're not alone and that they're so supported and there's no need to be embarrassed or ashamed of your, the current, you know, path you're on with your relationship with food and your body. To me, that's a huge part of my success is just getting the message out and letting other women know they're not alone. Success in my life is honestly gratitude. It's having such a deep gratitude and appreciation for everything, for my health, for my healing, for my level of awareness and courage to to go down the path that I have. Deep gratitude for my business and the incredible clients and abundance that I manifest. Deep gratitude for my boyfriend Mm -hmm. and our our life to me, like that's what success is. And it's by being true to myself and practicing what I preach and honoring my body at a deep level and, and having very strong boundaries of work-life balance that I, that I manifest with ease, the clients, the abundance, the, the success on that level. But to me, it's about making sure I'm nurtured and taking care of mentally, physically, and emotionally, and spiritually. And then that I am the channel or like the foundation that brings in everything else. Um, And it's the simple things like, yeah, sure. I love buying nice things, but to me, it's like having nourishing food available, having quality time with the people that I love. Like that's one of the other than, you know, providing my clients with the healing and the support. Like that's why I want to run my own business because I want the freedom to set my schedule the way that I want to. Right. (laughs) And set my hours. And if I want to not start until noon and that's when I start my day, like I get to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so those are some of the things that I would say as far as what success means to me Um, and just continuing to grow the brand internationally is because the more women I can reach and support, the more healing happens on the planet. And that's exactly what we need right now. We do. We do. Um, In terms of the the clients that um, you provide your service for, uh, I was wondering if um, it's only like professionals that you provide your services to, or is it, um, open to a woman of all age. Mm-hmm. So I work with women over 21. And the, the reasoning really behind that is I really want to work with women who are serious and committed. Um, and I've worked with women in their early 20s who are very emotionally mature to do the deeper work, but a lo- it takes time. Like I wouldn't have been ready and mature enough to do at 21 or 20 years old, the work that I do with, you know, some of my clients. Um, mm-hmm. And I find too, there's a financial investment. And so I find most of the women I'm attracting are like usually, again, there's some in their 20s, but it's usually 30, 40, 50s, some in the 60s. And and they're able to easily like invest. They want to invest the money, the time, the energy Mm -hmm. into doing it. Um, So I don't really work. I don't work with teenagers or kids or anything like that. But I've had clients come um, and work with me themselves and then notice their, their kids or teens are struggling with like food sensitivities or certain things. And so I will give them some coaching on behalf of, of their, their siblings or family members. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And do you notice, um, that there's usually, um, an increase or like, um, it gets more severe for your clients around like holidays or like what kind of trends do you see in like their eating habits? Cause I know, being a university student like my my eating habits are like horrible during exam time like horrible (laughs) so um and I find myself like super stressed and so like literally all I resort to is junk food and I eat super late at night you know because um I'll be studying super late at night and I need something to distract me so I just resort to junk food while I'm studying for my exam so what kind of trends do you usually notice and 
um, how do you think um, we could overcome them? And like, what strategies would you recommend? Yeah. So definitely common, some of the most common emotional eating triggers, definitely overwhelming stress from overbooked schedules, whether it's right exam time, or I, a lot of my clients do have some kind of business or a career. I do have some who are stay at home moms and like, it doesn't matter like the, the realm, but I find that that's why I attract. Um, and so definitely overwhelm overbook schedules, feeling negative emotions is a very common trigger holidays for sure. So we've got like, we just had our Canadian Thanksgiving and then there's Halloween and then you guys have our American Thanksgiving and then Christmas and whatever in between, depending on what people celebrate. And I find that there are definitely very vulnerable times of year. There's already all the candy and treats out in the stores. And um, yep. I find a lot of people just have been like stress eating more because of external world circumstances um, mm. on top of everything else. And so I find the more temptation, I call it food vulnerability. So if you're out at the store and you've had a stressful day and you see your favorite chocolate, right. In the checkout, like it's, it's just, unfortunately easier to grab it because you're tempted you're you crave it you might be addicted to it um and so it's easier for us to take those those vulnerable foods home and and overindulge in them um I find another trigger is definitely the scale so I find if I have clients or women that I talk to they'll say I did the diet I restricted I did the exercise and then I got on the scale and I gained five pounds and that will trigger them to emotionally because now they're so upset they're beating themselves up so there's those kinds of triggers as well um and that's because we need to stop attaching our worth to the number on the scale because it's they're not they have nothing to do with each other um but those would be some of the most common triggers and I think one of the most important strategies or like ways to start exploring and building awareness around if you're struggling with emotional eating is understanding well what is emotional eating and it's any reason for eating other than physical nourishment so it's eating because you're bored it's eating because you need to have you know food while you're studying to keep you awake yeah keep you distracted it's driving and eating watching tv and eating it's you finish eating your dinner, but then you're going through the cupboard and you're, you're finding the cookies and the chips and the snacks, even though you're physically not hungry anymore. It's visually seeing certain food and then knowing it's there. And then you, you go and eat it, even though you're not physically hungry um, versus physical hunger is like, I haven't eaten in a few hours. It's time to physically nourish my body. You get a hunger signal, your stomach growls, your blood sugar drops. Like there's actual physical cues. And I find 99% of the time it's emotional hunger that people are, you know, being led toward. And that's because we've literally been enabled as a society to use food for everything. Like you listen to commercial and it's just like, go ahead and eat the whole pint of ice cream. You deserve it. Just relax. Right. Like in, in movies, what happens? The girl gets broken up with, and then she's crying on the bed surrounded by all this food. And then that gets programmed into our mind. And we think that that's what we're supposed to do. So the programming from TV, from social media, from commercials, and then also depending on the way you grew up. So if your mom was an emotional eater or chronic dieter, or she was always commenting about her own weight or food, or maybe, you know, making comments toward you and your body or putting you on diets like that crafts and builds the kind of relationship you're going to have with food in your body. So first understanding what emotional hunger is, is really important. And then it's to go before you eat, I always encourage people to pause, get out of the kitchen if you can, or wherever the food is, 
and ask yourself, do I really need to physically eat right now? Or is this emotional hunger? And if I know it's emotional hunger, can I grab a piece of paper, pull out a journal and write about what I'm feeling and what is going on to start understanding that this is an emotional trigger? Because if you can start to understand why you're triggered, then you can give yourself what you really need instead. So it's like, if you're bored, do you need to build a self-care routine? Ideally build self-care routine anyway. If you're stressed, what do you need to do to actually deal with the stress and work through it? If you've overbooked your schedule, what boundaries do you need to set to have more balance, right? But we have to first understand what's triggering us and how it's making us feel so that we can give ourselves something different. If we don't take time to do any of that, and we just keep numbing and distracting with food, not a lot changes. Yeah. Did you um, notice any um, patterns with quarantine and like lockdown? Because for me, uh, especially with lockdown and stuff, and when we're just supposed to be at home, I find myself eating a lot because I was just bored and I had nothing to do. And it was just it was like literally lonely and depressing to just stay at home all day. So mm-hmm. did you notice any um, patterns in that? Not for me personally, if it would have been me 10, 12 years ago, I would have been binge eating a lot for sure, because I would have not had any healthy ways to cope. But because it's not something that I've had any issues with for the last nine to 10 years. um, For me, it's just like, okay, well, this is what's going on right now. I'm going to like, deepen the self care routine, make sure I'm extra grounded, it's an opportunity to um, get outside more get out into nature more. But I know for a lot of the women that I've spoken with, these circumstances have either reignited emotional eating or they've created new patterns of emotional eating. And so that's why it's so important to do this deeper work and address these self-sabotaging behaviors because we can, we we have a choice. We can choose to be in self-sabotage regardless of external circumstance, or we can choose to do our deeper work and actually heal and break through and build a mindful relationship with our bodies and foods, which I have, you know, so many incredible clients that are, have been doing that through this whole last 18 months. Um, so it's, it's okay if it's happening, like everything unfolds the way that it's supposed to. Um, and, and it's not bad or wrong. If people have been emotionally eating through this time, it's, it has definitely been um, a very, you know, unexpected time for everybody. But I think it's so important that we start to own, own the self-sabotage and go, I, I can stay in this habit. I can choose that. And if I want to feel better, I've got to own and take responsibility for what I'm doing because I'm doing it. And I can't, I have to stop blaming external circumstance because regardless of what's going on outside my door, I'm the one choosing to self-sabotage with the food. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Completely agree with it. And as, um, as much as I'd want for this conversation to keep going on, I just took a look at the time and I realized that we're a bit over our time limit. So um, I kind of wanted it to um, kind of wanted to end our podcast off with um, a few tips and tricks from you because um, this podcast, even though it is catered to all women, it specifically targets university students, especially female university students. So any tips and tricks that you'd have um, just to maintain a healthy lifestyle or to just constantly um, have in our mind so that we don't succumb ourselves to our unhealthy eating habits. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'll put myself back in my 18 to 20 when I was in college and I, I hear you and I, I feel for, you know, women that are going through such a heavy schedule, right? Like there's always so much studying and then there's projects and it's, it's really intense, you know, the curriculums that are put to 
seeing like it doesn't promote and support balance, but you have to go through it, I guess. So to me, it's like, number one, try to drink your two liters of water a day, stay hydrated. So water is so important and it's so underrated. Um, to me as well, another really important thing is, can you try to start building a, a, a really small self-care routine and growing it like 10 minutes, 15 minutes where you can like meditate, breathe, um, journal, like get out for a quick walk, like just spend some time like decompressing, um, from everything. Or do you want to have like two or three, five minute breaks through the day where like, you're just stopping and you're checking in to see like, how am I feeling? Do I need an anything? Do I need water? Do I need to have a mindful snack? Am I triggered to emotionally eat? So that's a great thing to put into your schedule. And I think the last thing is really the, is this physical or emotional hunger question and, and starting to unpack that for yourself. Um, you know, can you try to make more mindful food choices? Is there an opportunity to do food prep? If you have to eat the food at the school, what are the best options available, right? But really that physical versus emotional hunger, because if you start to get to know what your emotional hunger cues are, then you can take the steps to deal with it. If you don't know, the habits don't change. Thank you so much for um, your tips. Uh, well, I will definitely um, consider them the next time I'm on campus and I want to order Starbucks every day, but... <laughs> Um, but again, yeah, thank you so much. And it was such an honor to have you on our podcast. Um, you guys definitely check Amber out if you guys ever need anything. Um, she has her own website and um, her own business. So definitely something to look into. But yeah, thank you so much again for agreeing to come on our podcast. And um, it's Shigera and I'll see you guys again next time.